0: Hello and welcome to Iterated, a podcast about tech innovation from unexpected people in underestimated places. I'm your host, Kathy Chen Arriaga. To iterate is to repeat steps as a means of obtaining closer and closer results to the solution of a problem. In this show, we celebrate early to mid career professionals and the idea that innovation isn't always disruptive and radical, but more often incremental and adjacent a constant work in progress at the borders and periphery. Jerome Morrison is a digital technologist, new media designer, and experiential creator. His fascination with the use and adoption of emerging technology propelled him to create new and unique experiences. He is currently working as Product Manager of Technology Innovation for Meow Wolf, an immersive arts and entertainment company based in Santa Fe, with sites also in Las Vegas, Denver, and near Austin. Jerome strives to bridge the gap between the fleeting neat factor of cool tech and the deeper meaningful moments it can facilitate and enable. Jerome has been featured on Code.org as a speaker on Creative Computer Science Career Pathways. Furthermore, Jerome is a founding member of the Meow Wolf Workers' Collective, which advocates and arbitrates for creative workers' rights. So, Jerome, welcome to Iterated Podcast. It's really great to have you. To kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from, what were you like growing up, and where did you go to school?
1: Yeah, um, so that is definitely a tale um, because I am a Navy brat. I'm from everywhere and nowhere. So the the shortest way to tell the story is that I was born in Newport, Rhode Island, lived there for two years, and then I moved to Virginia Beach, Virginia, throughout all of the nineties um, till like about sixth grade. When then we moved to Yokosuka, Japan, where I lived on a navy base for three years. So that was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and that was definitely some formative years being in that space um, and just being exposed to just everything that is Japanese culture. And then after that, I moved to Pensacola, Florida. Now, people said that I was gonna have culture shock going to Japan, but I actually had culture shock coming back to the United States. Now, when my parents first told me we were moving to Florida, I thought it was like Orlando, and Miami, and Jacksonville, but it's not. It's lower Alabama. So it was definitely a bit of a culture shock be a person from black descent moving back to the south. Two weeks after I graduated high school, my parents moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And I went to college at the University of Florida, where I was for five years. And that's really where a career trajectory really starts. Because um, it, it started bubbling in high school when I got very interested in the video production classes and started doing like short films for the closed circuit television network that we had in the school, um, and doing like little commercials and skits and morning announcements and all of that stuff. So when I went to University of Florida, I joined the telecommunication production program. And so while I was there, I learned a whole lot about like film uh, production and and television production. I learned about the business of media and like uh, the history of media. And then after film school, or like what I like to call like my background in film, I then went to grad school for New Media Studio at East Tennessee State University. It's a cross disciplinary department between the digital media department and the art department, and it's where I learned about video game engines, um, like the, the Unreal Engine, because. Uh, at the time, what I wanted to study was VR, and this was before Oculus was ever kind of a thing. I was, I was kind of interested in it. And the teacher who says, all right, if you're interested in studying that medium, like you need to learn about video games, so take my video game course. And so I, I learned the Unreal Engine and kind of how easy it is to just get spun up in a lot of those engines and take on templates or use particularly in Unreal their visual coding system. Back then it was called Kismet. Today, I think it's known as blueprints, just these kind of visual programming language is what I know it as now. All of that sort of swirled together while I was in grad school, and I created this art project called the Hi-Fi God that uses the Microsoft Connect, and then made an art installation that uses those technical elements and then combines it with an old magic trick called Pepper's Ghost where you reflect an image onto a pane of glass and you can make it look like something is floating there, this pseudo-holographic interactive installation that is a visitation with the personification and amalgamation of all the information that's ever been transmitted on the electromagnetic spectrum since the initiation of human manipulation of wireless communication.
0: So you were also involved in the vibrant, emergent digital arts scene in Austin. How did you get started in the professional visual artist pathway and, How did you eventually end up at Meow Wolf?
1: I continued doing other interactive hologram projects after graduate school, and I started getting plugged into the new media art scene there. Just first through weird artistic co-ops. So a couple months into Austin now, I'm like trying to build these weird holograms. And then I eventually take it to this event called Art Outside. And then just kind of from there I kept I just kept getting more and more embedded and ingrained and introduced to different aspects of the Austin art culture and a lot of different art events and other people who were playing with this technology and doing new media stuff. Some of my roommates worked as projection map artists. And then one year in twenty sixteen, as we're coming back from my first Burning Man, We stop off at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico, this new weird thing that we heard about. A lot of us are inspired by Meow Wolf. We move to Austin, Texas, start a, um, there's an art collective that starts called Vision Gland. There's actually another one that's called Future TBD Collective. These different art collectives are kind of, yeah, based off of the Meow Wolf concept of like, build out a bunch of rooms, let's do a big art collaboration. We built that and then got the attention of people from Meow Wolf who came through that fall, saw this installation that we had built in the backyard of the Austin Tinkering School. Um, a friend of mine who was part of Future TBD Collective was hired as the VP of technology. So then... I get a phone call from people working at Meow for my friends. They say, hey, we've got a contractor position as a um, design technologist on this digital storytelling team. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. So uh, I picked up my stuff. I moved out here, and that was about four and a half years ago.
0: A question that I had while I was listening to your story, you're definitely someone that is very comfortable existing in liminal spaces because you've intersected such a diverse array of geographical spaces, but then also flowing from one opportunity to the next, when we narrate it, it seems so seamless. But I know that in reality, there are starts and stops and a lot of bumps along the road. So what was the most challenging aspect for you of making those
1: transitions? When I moved to Japan, my dad gave me a book to help me deal with a transition that's called, Who Moved My Cheese? It's a parable about two mice that are always running this maze and the, at the end of the maze is this cheese, and the cheese is always in the same spot, they're always running the same maze. But then one day, the cheese is not where they expect it to be. Since then, there's been that kind of idea ingrained in me of being open to and ready for and embracing change. I think the thing that I am grateful for, though, what has made it easier for me, is has just been having very supportive parents who've been there throughout my entire life, so that I have the privilege to go and try out some of these new things, I think one bit of advice that I can give to the listeners of this podcast is the importance of those early relationships and trying to like keep in touch with the people who out, who are out there doing things. We're all like contemporaries in this you know in this uh, scene in this culture right now. While I'm working in the co-op first time that I'm there. I needed to get a job, right? So that job, well, I found a job on Craigslist that was driving around Austin, taping these little door tags onto different doors, fill out a bunch of addresses, plot the addresses on my course, and then go out to these random neighborhoods and all around Austin and like tape these things onto the door. So I wore out my tires, wore out the engine, all that stuff. Yeah, so that's like one of the ways that I was hustling. But then for three years in Austin, I did work as a teacher at a small private school. I was the digital media and technology teacher while I was there. It was a part-time position, like two days a week and then three days a week. And so I got to devise a lot of media and technology classes myself, like through this, through this place. And in fact, one of them that turned out to be the most popular was 2D game design. And the funny thing is, when I proposed this class, I had no idea how to design 2D games with um in construct it's also a visual programming language where you can just kind of click and drag things onto the canvas and then assign behaviors to them like i really my entry into programming and software has been through visual so if there's anybody out there also again listening to this podcast who are interested in learning about programming but you think that it's all a bunch of like text and script and syntax it's not there's a lot of really useful tools out there now. I mean, shoot, even in this day of like chat GPT now also, you don't even need to write the code anymore a lot of time. You can copy and paste the stuff. I wanted to go back to something that you
0: said, which is this idea of a creative community. For you, it was accessing the alternative and fringe artistic communities that existed in Austin. This idea of being identified as a member of that community and being able to be immersed in the kind of creative cultures that to help you grow. Now, the question is, though, for a lot of our listeners, they may not live already in a city or in a neighborhood that have these experimental art or creative communities. What advice do you have for them? Because like you said, when you moved to Pentecostal Florida... That was perhaps not an environment where you thought you could flourish, but you still managed to keep alive the kernel of innovation
1: and artistry and creativity. How did you do that? So I think when it comes to the kinds of creative expression, if you're not finding it in your immediate community, you may be able to find that through some online communities too, like, there are, I love posting or, like, seeing on Reddit forums that are dedicated to, like, SP or Arduinos or all these other kinds of, like, means of tinkering. Like, people, just somebody's basic, like, hello world. Like, hey, look, I learned how to, like, make make it so that I push this button and this LED comes on. And then the very supportive community that's, like, oh, my God, like, good job. Yes, keep going. Like, do more. And actually, here's some other resources and more things that you can do, like, so that you can push that button and it turns on 100 LEDs. So I'd say, like, in your local community, look up either hacker spaces where there's this collection of tools and laser printers and 3D printers. In fact, actually, um, public libraries have 3D printers now, too, and other kinds of, a lot, like, even VR headsets and these kinds of things to start checking out. Also, if there's any kind of tinkering schools that are around in your area or, or like, look for those kinds of DIY classes or, like, people who are hosting, you know, like, little maker events where it's, like, come by and learn, you know, learn about Arduino. So, you know, it's it's relatively cheap to get started. It's a very supportive community online of people, and you will definitely find some people in your local community. And if you're not, then, like, maybe you're the one who needs to start it, too.
0: Could you expound a little bit on what is creative technology for those of us who may not be familiar with the term or... There are just a million definitions for it, but could you tell us a little bit about the creative technology that has launched your career at Meow Wolf?
1: So one tool, paintbrush, can be both craft, but it can also like be this thing that is a means of creative expression. Technology is the same way, right? It's it's about the intention of why it is that you are doing the thing that you're putting together. Right? My career began with New Media Studio. There was actually a little bit of tension between digital media students and then the art department teachers and kind of what is art. There was an assignment where we had to take a piece of art that we did from our past and then like reimagine it. And what one person did was he recoded his entire game from scratch. It looks exactly the same. The teacher was like, no, this doesn't count. And all of us had to make the argument of like, no, look at that code. Are you telling me that that code is not beautiful? Also, more recently, through a program called Odyssey Works Experience Design Certificate, I was trying to figure out how to make technology go from just this neat factor to actually being able to use that to invoke a feeling, you know, this isn't a Microsoft Hololens too. This is some sort of like interdimensional transducer. It's allowing me to peer into like the the dimensions in between. What we do is magic. We're magicians.
0: This episode of Iterated is sponsored by Microsoft TechSpark in El Paso. TechSpark is an initiative of Microsoft aimed at bringing a bit of the Silicon Valley to the middle of the country by promoting the infusion of transformational technologies into the local economy through investments in computer science education in high schools, digital skills training, high-speed broadband, and technology for nonprofits. Microsoft TechSpark is partnering with local businesses, nonprofits and government agencies to make the El Paso, Juarez region the leader of advanced manufacturing, advanced logistics, business services, and ensure the people here have access to the digital skills that will be needed in the 21st century. What was your favorite installation that you have worked on at Meow Wolf?
1: So in Denver, if you get the, the RFID cards, there's like a means of, of following some storylines. There's a quest you get. I think if you go and you boop the RFID card at the vending machine. What I like about it, the movie Concessions Bot has a lot of little dialogue trees in it. That does all these different kinds of branching endings that can happen with this character. And I think that's my favorite thing there. And I'm trying to work on more of those kinds of experiences, if not enabled by technology, then absolutely by creative operators. There's also all sorts of other fun chat bots and things out there, too.
0: While we are on the topic of chat bots, what are your thoughts on the rapid advancements of artificial intelligence and its impact on the creative industry?
1: It's definitely rocking the world inside of Meow Wolf. I think just like with any revolutionary technology, an existential fear that people have to, like, how is this going to change things? So it's more so the lack of other safety nets that we have in our society and our culture that gives people very valid reasons for feelings and fear. And I think within Meow Wolf, I've been seeing like two camps so far of like people who just haven't touched the thing at all and then people who are interested and who are collaborating with it and are fascinated by it. And I think what we need to do is actually have ourselves a circle up because we've got concept designers and we've got writers. It's really funny how AI, we were all thinking it's gonna replace all of the, you know, monotonous labor and actually it's taking over a lot of creative positions and things too. But there's something to be said about the curation that we as humans will be doing with a lot of these AI tools and of like, well, what is the information that we're putting in and then prompt engineering and all of that. And using that as inspiration or to work out ideas that we have, those ideas are kind of meaningless without us as a means to interpret what they mean and to curate them creating a concept to like actually getting the things physically made and put into the installations. I like to think of this stuff more as a collaborative tool where the problem is, it's on folks who are not creative and who are going to be looking for shortcuts.
0: This idea of what is the time value of art and creation. And then the second piece is, uh, at one point or another, we're really going to have to have some introspection around wage labor. That's the real existential fear. Some of this math is not going to add up, and I think people are going to value essential work, caring work, artistic work, and creative work in ways that wasn't valued in previous modalities of economics. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about workers' movements happening within Meow Wolf. Tell me about some of the core values that you hold and how they do resonate with organizational culture at Meow Wolf and perhaps don't.
1: Unions and labor organizing directly aligns with my values. I believe in the power of collective action. Learning about how people who literally built the house, built this million dollar engine are having trouble keeping up with student loan payments and having trouble keeping up with rent and, like, can't afford to have, you know, they want to have children, but, like, the numbers just are not working out for them. Meanwhile, I'm seeing folks that are being hired from Florida, California, New York. And so it just became this little, like, microcosm of historical issues who now don't have any of the power. Why was I any more deserving of like the paycheck and of the kind of security that I had in the position that I had within the company? So then, you know, those conversations start happening. We meet with like a union representative and then a couple months later, COVID happens. And then month, month after that, half the company gets laid off. Really galvanizing support. Through a lot of the internal debate that happened in Meow Wolf, that was an interesting time for me to be able to go Weave in and out of these different groups, these different factions, and just really try and sit and listen and understand our people's fears, and and seeing oh well, those are all very valid grievances. So then that's the other thing I loved about the union is having a body that has a method by which we can uh, force a peek into leadership and into leadership decisions that are happening through like you know RFIs, requests for information, and especially with a lot of the beliefs that MIAW was founded on too of being part of a collective and of ragtag disenfranchised folks who weren't able to bust into the Santa Fe high culture you know art scene and so they're making things themselves if Meowth cannot survive like push those kinds of interests out in a way and keep them at bay then like then then it's over it was amazing seeing hot labor summer of all of the different unionizing that was happening with like Amazon and Starbucks and that are helping people remember what collective action is capable of. This was before Denver and Vegas opened up, and there was the existential fear that, like, if we don't unionize and get something set by the time Denver and Vegas open up, they can do whatever they want to because they just have more cash money printing machine and no other kind of check. Even us unionizing in this very liberal kind of leaning space really goes to show you how deeply ingrained the anti-labor movement over like the last 60 years really has been. But we're seeing that change now. We're seeing the ways that like after the union, how we released a million more dollars into people's pockets, you know, within the company, have regular raises that are going to be coming through, all these sorts of checks and balances, these things that are happening.
0: I mean, your main work deals with creative storytelling, leveraging technology as a tool to build out these ecosystems that exists only in the imagination of the creator. And then you are also participating in this very real infrastructure and capacity building work to promote equity in these uh, emergent economies. How do you cross-pollinate your work in the digital spaces and then also in real world? Do you see any parallels or any ways that one has influenced the
1: other? I was just the keynote speaker at Tech Connect in Tacoma, Washington, which was a um, an education conference for teachers. And while I was there, the topic that I spoke on was how the tools that video game designers use and different frameworks for approaching design can also be applied to a classroom setting. So, the skills and the work that I've been learning, like I'm, I'm applying into work, I'm applying into my daily life, like I apply into relationships, into friendships. It's really, I've, I'm coming to this conclusion that everything is experience design. Like all of this stuff is intentionally designed and for invoking certain kinds of feelings.
0: What can we do better as people that have achieved a certain degree of decision making power and access? What can we do better to support? emerging artists, designers, innovators, and entrepreneurs in underserved neighborhoods and in underestimated regions.
1: Well, I mean, I'd like to think we're doing a good job of it right now, even in just the existence of this podcast and the intent for it, because I think the thing to do is to get the stories out there. It's important for the youngest of us to know that it gets better and that you can keep trying. And then even like through some of the failures and setbacks that you have, That if, like, you are persistent, then you can achieve. But the thing is that persistence theme that I keep saying, too, it's easier to be persistent when you've got a good support network. And then once you're there, get the story out there. Let other folks know and feel inspired to do that. But doing a good job of listening to other people, too. By listening to seeing where this generation is at, people who are trying to come up and break into this, and what are their... The things that they're interested in, too, and the things that they're trying to pursue me telling my own story and saying, and being just a good representative and getting my face out there and saying, hey, I am a person of color who is black and queer and works in like technology and like works at this space. And here's the things that I did in order for me to get here. You will have your own path, but like the path is there. I am a success story, you can be one too.
0: Thank you, Jerome, for a wonderful conversation. I look forward to interacting with all the amazing, wonderful, creative, experiential work you have. And will be producing. Iterated is made possible by Fab Lab El Paso. Sound recording by Jerome Morrison and editing by Kathy Chen Ariaga. Subscribe and follow us for more future episodes on Apple Podcast.